a problem like Patricia. Hi, Ellen Marsh. Hi, Patricia. Oh, you're in a real mood today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Obsessed (laughs) with Disappeared, the podcast where Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping our favorite show, Disappeared Girl. How are you? I'm great. I don't know why you just pegged me to be in a bad mood. I love it because every single episode you go like this, uh, hello, Patricia. Every single episode. Because we've already, this is what our listeners don't understand. We've already had 20 minutes of banter and generally... It's you talking nonsense, and then we hit record, and I'm already agitated. So it seems like I'm coming out of the gate being agitated, but uh-huh. really, you've already prepped me for my agitated state of mind. And true. Guilty as charged. You guys, if you want more of this nonsense, join us on the Patreon. Every month, you get three full bonus episodes of us doing this, but talking about, like, Snapped or something else from ID, and you also get our monthly trivia. Girl, tell them about the trivia. Well, by the time you hear this, we would have already had our second and successful trivia. We had like a thousand people last time come. Uh, We laughed. We genuinely cried. Yeah. Um, That would just be me. I had a single cocktail and And I was like a mess of tears (laughs) by the end. It was equal parts embarrassing and lovely. Yes, you're adorable. But you guys, our play at home option is so fun. It's multiple choice. The questions are right in the middle between easy and hard. It's just a really fun way to pass a Friday night. You also, at the $10 level, you get ad-free versions of these episodes. Uh, You get to be on our best friend circle on Instagram where sometimes I just go on and talk for five minutes, girl. Oh, you're so wild and crazy. Look at you being wild and crazy in the middle of a pandemic more. How cute are you? You guys also on our Instagram, it's The Disappeared Pod. Every Friday night at 6 p.m. we go live and we just get sassy and saucy. Oh, oh, and we release that on Monday morning as a podcast for the Patreon. So that's another thing. You get Friday Night Live on Monday morning if you're on the Patreon. On girl. Okay. Are you quite finished? <laughs> Have you quite started? <laughs> Never. Go shit yourself. Okay, let's go. <laughs> All right, you guys, Disappeared Season 4, Episode 2, Secrets of a Son, tells the story of the disappearance of Stephen Kosher. A church-going young man goes inexplicably missing, and his car is found abandoned near Las Vegas. His cell phone records, his email and voicemail records, and everything stopped. His grieving family cannot make sense of it. It was horrible. A punch in the stomach... A blurry video might have answers. And I thought, is that him? Is that him? And some wonder if his case is linked to another high-profile missing persons case. You don't know what happens behind closed doors. Laborious searches lead to frightening findings. Some of the other searchers found bones. Only one thing is clear. Right from the get-go, we knew that this is not normal. This is not common. Hey, girl, what's going on with your earphone situation over there? Are you okay? Do we need to reset? What's happening? You're a little loud on my earphones, (laughs) if I'm honest. (laughs) Now I understand what all those iTunes reviews that say I can't stand those, like, squawking clowns. I'm like, excuse me! People used to pay me big money to hear me squawk! (laughs) 
So it's winter 2009. We're in St. George, Utah. So we're learning about this guy, 30-year-old Stephen Kosher. He's a journalist and he's struggling. So he had been living in Salt Lake City, Utah near his family. He's a Mormon and his whole family is Mormon. It's a very big family. They're a very close family. But you guys, it's that recession of 2009, girl, remember? Yeah. The times were tough, girl. It was the worst of times. It was the worst of times. It's like recording with you, girl. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) An economic recession is in full swing. 30-year-old journalist Stephen Kosher is struggling. Like thousands of others, he's been laid off and can't find full-time work. We said, well, at least get a temporary job until you can get yourself on your feet. And every different where he went, there was 150 applicants. So we meet Steven's dad, Rolf, to which I just said, this guy Rolf is really sweet, but isn't Rolf the bad guy from Sound of Music? Isn't he the one who, like, tells the Nazis where the family is hiding behind the curtains? Well, a couple things on that. Number one, his name's Rolf. Right, isn't that the dad's name? Yeah, Rolf, but you said Rolf. Okay. It's Rolf. <laughs> okay. So that's number one. And number two, Rolf is a very misunderstood character because he was taken in by the Nazis in the Third Reich and he was too young. No, but like he was like brainwashed. He was like a brainwashed kid. He was a child. And then, yes, he turns him in. Lieutenant! Lieutenant, they're here! Lieutenant! Lieutenant, they're here! And he blows the whistle, right? And he blows the whistle to my very first crush in my whole life, Christopher Plummer, may he rest. What's the last name on that guy? Plummer. Christopher Plummer. Okay, great. Because when we play it back, you're going to hear yourself say, Plummer, which is great. <laughs> it's like me saying roll. I said Plummer. <laughs> we also meet cousin Casey. She is very sweet. I do have a couple problems with the things that she says, but yeah. we'll get to that in a minute. We meet Mama Deanne and uh, Stephen's mother. And Mama Deanne tells us, you know, a little bit about him. He was always looking out for the, the tender reason that you should do something. He likes sports, but he was artistic. He liked to draw, and he liked to sing, and he liked to play his guitar. You and I have talked about this off mic, so we got to unpack this a little bit. I'm just going to say this episode is called Secrets of a Son. Uh. He comes from a large Mormon family, and the mother says he was always looking out for the tender reason to do something. He liked sports, but he mostly liked to draw and sing. And I said, is he gay, girl? And, like, it's never discussed in this episode. Yeah. But there's, like, oh. I don't know, girl. I did a little bit of re. I did a lot of research. I did a lot of research. Um, did you? Yeah, you know. Here's the thing. This might come up later. My very first thought was that maybe he was a closeted gay man living in a Mormon community and couldn't come out. Yeah, because of some other things that we learn. Not because he sings and dances. There are many straight <laughs> men who sing and dance. <laughs> Show me five. Show me five. I have had relations with many of them. So, you know, we learn about Steven. He was a clean cut guy. He was really fun. He was like a really dutiful kid. You know, we learned that he's an Eagle Scout. He wasn't just a Boy Scout. He was an Eagle Scout. Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, His Eagle Scout project was in the communications field. He created a flyer to promote a charitable organization. 
You guys, being an Eagle Scout is really hard. Like, you have to work really hard to do that. But I guess you have a big project that you work on when you're an Eagle Scout. I would think that that would be forestry, some sort of, like, living in the woods, learning how to make a fire from sticks. His big project was making a flyer for a local business. That comes back. This is a skill that he carries with him through the rest of the episode, you guys. It's good to be good at an array of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So his dad, Rolf, was a publicist and a newspaper editor. And after majoring in communications, he just sort of like followed in his dad's footsteps and worked at a paper. Yeah. And then like he sort of, you know, 30 is like a weird age, which is how old he was. It's like when you're really starting to think about like what you've done and what you want to do. You guys like this is where it, it gets weird. Like he gives it all up and like leaves the Salt Lake City area and he moves five hours away to a town called St. George. Like, he says Salt Lake City's too cold. And, but I don't know. There's a definite quality of, like, wanting to get away from his family, girl. Yeah. Also, it should be noted that Salt Lake City is a big metropolis bustling city and St. George is not. And yeah. Mama Deanne says he sort of had a wanderlust. And I was like, well, that might be true, Mama. He's moving five <laughs> hours away. He's not backpacking in Machu Picchu. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's he's <laughs> Wait, I think you just said Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu. (laughs) Machu Picchu? Wait, Machu Picchu. Is it Machu Picchu? There you go. It's Machu Picchu. (laughs) It's in Peru, okay? I was supposed to go there on my honeymoon and I got pregnant and says Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu. Both sound right to me. Is it envelope or envelope? I have no idea. In April 2009, Stephen finds a room for rent in a house which he shares with another tenant. But the two have little in common. He said his roommate was kind of crazy. He tries to make friends with his roommate, but their values don't mesh. For one thing, Stephen is a devout Mormon who doesn't even drink coffee. So number one, this guy, Steven, is 30 years old and he needs to get a roommate. But we learn about this roommate that like they were very different. And the way that the reenactment, they show us that they were very different is that we see the roommate like getting a beer from the fridge. And this is where we learn that Steven like doesn't drink coffee and he doesn't drink alcohol and he's very religious. And we see him pouring a glass of milk. And I went, we get it. We get it. Steven moved in with me. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Because the roommate that he doesn't quote mesh with opens like a bush lager and he's like, Ah, I'm going to crack this baby open and make my Mormon roommate wicked uncomfortable. His church life is fulfilling, but there's a big hole in Stephen's personal life. Unlike his siblings, most of whom are married with children, Stephen doesn't even have a steady relationship. We have so many cousins, and all of them are just so amazing, and they all accomplish great things. And it's not like we ever looked down on him. We never did. But it's still hard not to compare yourself. This section makes me really uncomfortable because this is where, like, cousin KC is like, listen, we have lots of cousins and they're all amazing. And Steven's kind of a loser. Yeah. But, like, we don't look down on him. Like, we love him anyway. But he's just, like, not keeping up. And all of this leads to, like, something isn't adding up. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily he's a homosexual. But, like, is it that girl? I don't know. But this is a slight pullover situation because... Okay. <laughs> just slow down, you guys. Yeah, just slow down. Get into, like, the non-fast lane. Yeah, yeah. Get into the non-fast lane. It's not a full pullover. Okay, I don't have any contentiousness towards this family. And again, I am not a religious person and I respect religions. I respect people's religion all across the board. But 
you know, Mama Deanne says that he had a girlfriend that he broke it off with because she wasn't as devout as he was. I understand that. Yeah. And then Casey keeps, you know, sort of reiterating, finding a wife is big on the list. Getting married is so important. Starting a family. And like, I do just want to say that the institution of marriage is evolving right before our eyes. Like, what is like... Or or devolving right before my right. eyes. Right. And, and, but our, our perception... Okay. <laughs> Our perception (laughs) of what marriage is across the board needs to evolve. There's open marriages. There's poly marriages. There's non-ethical monogamy marriages. There's mind your business marriages. How about everybody mind their own goddamn All right, I guess I need you to pull over. But I'm just saying... You guys, look, I know that for a lot of you and me, what she's saying doesn't make any sense. Just remember, she's really been through it. This guy that she married really no, fucking put her through it. No. So just let her have it. Just let her have it. I'm just saying, like, the religious pressure to get married doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't. It wasn't intentionally... I totally agree. ...spoken to yuck me out, but the whole conversation yucked me out. <laughs> Some of the happiest and most fulfilled people I know are uncoupled, Okay. <laughs> do they scream as much as you do? No, they're they're actually very mild-mannered people. I <laughs> Holy moly. You know, and it's like, even if this guy isn't gay and he just hasn't met the right one, or maybe, maybe, maybe he just doesn't fucking feel like getting married or whatever, I can understand why he moved five hours away, like, to get away from all that pressure. So, by the fall of 2009, he gets a part-time job marketing and handing out flyers for a local window washing company, but it's not enough to pay the bills. And so this is what I don't understand. He lives five hours away from his family and still the landlord calls his dad. The landlord told us he was about two and a half months behind in his rent. And so I called him one evening and said, I'm glad to help you. And he got a little offended and did not want to continue the conversation. Rolf is upset that his son is hung up on him, but he gets a reassuring message the next day, December 10th. And Stevie sent me a text back, says, I'm okay, Dad. Just want to do it my, on my own. Somehow he gets the dad's phone number and calls the dad and says, your son is behind on rent two and a half months. There's a lot of things like this that come up. Like yeah. the dad having the keys to his car, which we're going to find out later. Yeah. There are a lot of ways this family is ingrained in a 30-year-old's life that I find very bizarre. I wonder if that's why he can't like get out on his own and make a fucking life for himself. It could be that I covered the Britney documentary this week for True Crime Obsessed. I'm a little bit annoyed with parents having too much control over their grown-ass children. Uh. But if yeah. this is pushing my buttons, girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all very, it's it's all one star. Would not recommend this kind of odd relationship. <laughs> yeah. So the dad calls him and he's like, girl, I'm going to give you some cash to like help you pay your rent. And Steven gets so mad that he hangs up on him. And I'm like, girl, I understand that you're 30 and you don't want to get money from your parents, but you're going to get kicked out, yeah. girl. Yeah. So he hangs up on his dad. And then the next day he texts him and he's like, I'm good. I'm sorry I hung up on you. I just don't need any money. But you do. I know. You know what I mean? I know. <laughs> So we get this story that one week later, Rolf, am I saying Rolf, right? It's Rolf. How is that different from what I'm saying? You're saying Rolf. Okay. And what is it? It's Rolf. Like, are, with it, you're getting really angry about Yeah, it. like round the O, Rolf. <laughs> Say Rolf. Why are you so invested in this? Because why don't you know how to say his name? It was a very prominent character in a very famous movie called The Sound of Music. How do you not know how to pronounce it? 
I hate the sound of music. <laughs> the look on your face. I really hate it. I understand everything except for what you're saying right now. <laughs> it's so boring. It is not boring. You're boring. <laughs> Why do you love this? The sound of music is a triumph of the screen. You know how you're so, like, you live in fear of that woman from the ring coming through the television? Yeah. It looks like you're about to put yourself through the phone so you can slap me in the face. You look like you're about to do violence to me. I don't think you've blinked since we started talking on FaceTime today. I don't think you've blinked. Every single thing I've said has inspired rage in your already angry face. So Christopher tells us one week later, disaster strikes. And Rolf, Ra- now, well, now I, well, now I'm, con- now I can't sit. Now I know I can't say it right. Rolf comes home and he tells us that his wife is sitting in the dark. I came home and my wife was sitting in the dark. She was just uh, huddled over the phone and she played back this, this uh, voice message from the, the police in Henderson, Nevada, saying his car had been found abandoned since December 13th. The cops are calling to say that their son, Steven's car has been found and it's been abandoned for the last four days. We'll get to that in just a second. I think it's a little dramatic for the dad to say that he comes home and his wife is sitting in the dark listening to this message on repeat. Yeah. Like, turn a light on. Oh my God. <laughs> just turn a light on. Like, it's going to be as dark and scary with the light on or off. You know, just turn a light on. <laughs> That's actually a really great point. <laughs> <laughs> Just turn a light on. So this town where they have found Stephen's car that's been abandoned for four days is a town called Henderson. And it's two hours from St. George where Stephen lives, but it's only 20 minutes from Vegas. And the proximity to Vegas has this family very worried, girl. The koshers can't imagine what Stephen, a devout Mormon, might have been doing in Sin City. It was horrible. A punch in the stomach. Um... Frantic, And then I thought, what do I know? I don't know. So we learned that the car has been there for four days. No one can reach him. They've done all the things. They call him, they call him, they call him. They then realize his phone is dead because it's not going through to anything. So Mama Deanne then says something really puzzling and kind of out of the blue. She says, well... I thought maybe he walked into the desert and never came back. Wait, are we talking suicide, Mama Deanne? Like, from stress? Yeah, no, that makes sense to me, too. That wasn't out of the blue for me at all. Oh, it wasn't out of the blue, but from what the parents were saying, how he, you know, loved paper mache and and tennis, to a man walking (laughs) into the desert to, like, never return? Yeah. I get it. Listen, stress and loneliness can really take someone on a- And money. Yeah, absolutely. Money troubles. That can take people on a mental- journey of a spiral. That didn't come as news to me. I just found that out of character from the way this family had previously been speaking about him. No, we're. I think we're saying the same thing. I agree that like it was out of character for the mom to be so forthcoming that she thought that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens. Right. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. totally agree. Yeah. So they file a missing persons report and the dad, Rolf, he like rounds up like 27 of his kids and he's like, we're going to drive home <laughs> to get to St. George. In St. George, Rolf lets himself into his son's rented house with a copy of the key. The roommate is gone, moved out a month before. Stephen's room is neat and looks as if he plans to return. His laptop was there. 
his cell phone charger was still in the wall. So it didn't look like he was planning to be gone for a long time. And most of his stuff was there. Rolf goes to his house and he has keys. Again, I think that's a little weird. No, it's weird. It, it, it is weird. And we learn at this point that the roommate, remember the weird me roommate, the one that's like drinking brewskis all day long while Steven's in the kitchen drinking the milk? He's moved out. He's been gone for a month and a half. And I'm like, well, first of all, no wonder Steven is behind on the bills. You know what I mean? Right. Number two, Steven moved in with that guy. Like Steven moved into that guy's apartment. So who's on the lease? Yeah. What's the lease situation <laughs> at this apartment? You know? You really want to figure all that. Could someone tell me the logistics <laughs> before we go any further? Is there, who is on the lease? Who has the Con Ed bell? It's probably not Con Ed. But honestly, that shit makes me crazy. Like, that's the things you have to think about when you have a roommate. It's just, it's just crazy. But I just love that the roommate, like, lived with Steven for, like, two months. It was like, all this guy does is, like, pray and drink milk. This is not going to work. <laughs> I'm fucking you know what? Keep the apartment, girl. I'm out of here. <laughs> Just, I'm taking my bush logger and I'm hitting the road. <laughs> um, but Papa Rolf says everything was super neat. Everything seemed like it was in his place. He did think it was weird that his phone charger was there. So he didn't feel like he was gone for good because who wouldn't leave without his phone charger? I was like, astute. Good call. <laughs> But they can't find his passport. That's the other big thing. Right. To which I was like, how do y'all know where everything is? Like, I, I, know. I generally know. Like, if you give me 10 minutes to find my passport, I could find it. There's like 13 logical places my passport could be. <laughs> That actually concerns me for you that it would take that long. A passport is one of those things where you should always know exactly where that is. Yeah, I have like four places it could be right at this moment. Why? Why don't you have one place for your... Why don't you have the passport place? What's wrong with you? Uh, many things. Number one. And uh, number two, shut up. But I mean, I'm, a, I'm what science and physicist would call absent-minded. Yeah, same. The more I do this with you, the more I know that you and I are like identical people. It's because there's too many tabs open. Yeah. Oh my. Are you that person who rather than like going back to your email tab, do you just open a new tab and like go to your email? Absolutely. Yes. There's too many tabs open. You got to close some of the tabs, sis. I know. You gotta, I know. You got to open up that bandwidth. And I don't always open up that bandwidth. <laughs> Hey, girl, yeah. it's been a minute since you've opened up that bandwidth, huh? Okay. <laughs> Hold on one second. <laughs> beep, beep, yeah. beep, beep, beep. Beep, 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 beep. What's that, girl? That's Morse code for f*** off. <laughs> I learned it. <laughs> Just for you. <laughs> Rolf grabs Steven's spare car key, and with mounting anxiety... He and two of his other sons head for Henderson, Nevada. Two hours later, they find Stephen's abandoned car. Where they find it only deepens the mystery. It was in a cul-de-sac in this very nice retirement community. Residents of the community must be older than 55, and the cul-de-sac is quite far from a main road. There's a lot that I don't understand about this scene. They learned about the car being abandoned because the cops called them and said the car was abandoned. But then they go to the location where the car had been abandoned. Like, the cops never towed the car. It's still there in that cul-de-sac. Yeah, there's a couple more questions that really, you know, pique my spidey senses. Yeah. But they also don't ever, this is just for, for later knowledge, they don't ever run this car for forensics. That should be said. Right. So that's, yeah. there's a lot of, like, really, really, like, I don't know, weird things. 
things. So they look in the car and they find a bunch of job applications. Yeah. They find a bunch of his flyers from the window washing company that he had been at. And the other thing too is that like where this car is is in a cul-de-sac in this like the dad is like very impressed with how fancy and upscale (laughs) this cul-de-sac is. The car is like bizarrely in this retirement community 20 minutes outside of Vegas. You have to be 55 or older to live there and the dad just goes on and on about how fancy (laughs) and wealthy and high-end the place is but like no one is being like what the fuck was he doing there? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. What is this 30-year-old kid doing in this like fancy 55 plus neighborhood girl? On a cul-de-sac no less. I know. (laughs) This is not a place where you would actually just go to drop a car. It's just not you know where you run out of gas or something like that. It's a very affluent area and it became very clear this was not an ordinary situation. The one theory about the car was that maybe it ran out of gas in the the middle of this like fancy, well-to-do neighborhood. The dad turns the car on. There's like a half tank of gas. So whoever brought the car there, and we never fully entertained the idea that like somebody else brought the car there, that either it was stolen or he met with foul play somewhere else. But like whoever brought the car there and left it, did it on purpose. Like they meant to bring the car there. Do you know what would have told us that information? Forensics. Maybe just like a forensics test. Just like dust that shit for fingerprints like yeah you know yeah that is bananas that they don't even fucking dust for we're not asking for dna yeah vegas we just want give me a fingerprint girl patty vaughn's fucking sisters like had a fingerprint dusting kit in their goddamn car (laughs) like just just anyway so there's also a bunch of random things in the car there was coats pillows blankets maybe he slept in the car a bunch of receipts there's also a kmart bag with some cookies and ornaments and a baby bib they're assuming that he was buying gifts for his seven billion nieces and nephews, I guess. Yeah. It is really weird. Do you ever like put a bunch of weird shit in your car and be like, if I go missing today, people are going to have a field day trying to figure out what I was up to. Yeah. Actually, yes. <laughs> I, I kind of pseudo live in my car at all times. I have like four changes of clothes. There's like fancy, casual, day casual and like pajamas in my car. Cars are such a weird thing. Like cars are like mobile homes for some people. Yeah. Like Tara Grinstead's room, basically. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Look, if they had just gotten one single horse worth of swabs of that car. I know. All they needed was one horse worth. We could have gotten some answers in this case. So the dad and the 15 sons decide they're going to canvas the neighborhood. It turns out on that very first day, we knocked on the very first house near the cul-de-sac. And they said they had a surveillance camera set up. The homeowner's cameras might have captured images of Stephen's car or even of Stephen but special equipment will be required to locate and download the footage. They say the first house, the like the first house, how do you say this? The first house with a door they knocked on? The first door they knocked on? The first house they happened to knock on? You want to go with that? (laughs) Do you just knock on a house though? Just like on any random wall? Yes, someone's going to- Just knock on a house? Like on the side, on the siding? (laughs) Hello, I'm here. Do you hear me knocking on your house? So the first door they knock on is closest to the car and the people who live there say, we have surveillance video. Like, we have surveillance cameras. I'm sure if he was anywhere near our house, we would have picked it up. So the family's like, amazing. This is so great. And then everyone's like, eh, not so fast. You guys, the way they say this, they are going to need like a team of experts to get special equipment to locate and download the footage. I know. Like, what the fuck does that mean? 
mean? Meanwhile, <laughs> the cops are like, yeah, he probably went off to Vegas with his friends. Am I right? And it's also like if he was going to go to Vegas, he would have gone to Vegas, sis. He wouldn't have gone to like the fancy cul-de-sac 20 minutes outside. You're not going to like park here and walk to Vegas. Like the fact that Vegas is close by should mean nothing. It's 20 minutes away. That's like six hours away by walking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Six hours away. And if you're me, it's like nine hours away by walking. I know, sweetheart. And you know what? No, if you're me, it's a zero hours away by walking because I would never do it. I would never do it. God damn it. It's like 2009. He's like, has Uber been invented yet? <laughs> Should be. Someone invent that app. It's like a ride share. Next, Dan turns to Stephen's laptop. Stephen's older brother was able to figure out his Yahoo account and read his email. They find endless job applications and rejections, but nothing about appointments in Vegas or anywhere else. No visits to suicide websites and no indication he was planning to leave town. He hacks into the Yahoo account. They're reading the emails. The poor guy, they're saying like endless applications, but there was nothing about Vegas. But girl, I got to tell you, like if you are living your life and you have any kind of secrets, however mundane they are, like you don't want somebody like accessing your, like your internet search history. You know what I mean? This brings me to a, actually a really important conversation that I've been meaning to have with you for quite some time. You're going to talk to me about the number of times I search Ryan Phillippe, but aren't no, you? No, no. Is that, is that, is this, is this an interesting? No, no, quite the opposite. Okay. Just, I've never actually said this to you out loud, but I feel like you know it, but I would like to say it in front of all of our friends and family right now. Is it Ryan Reynolds underpants that I should stop doing that? No, it really has more to do with me. If I could have the, the oh. mic for a second. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, sure. If I go missing, your very first course of action yeah. is to delete all of my browser history. Say it now. I will delete all of your browser history, but I reserve the right to make faces when I see the kind of porn you watch. Yeah, I'm not... I, uh, honey, women aren't visual <laughs> like that, but okay. Okay. <laughs> well, then what's in your browser history that you don't want people to know about? I don't fucking know. But <laughs> somewhere in there, it's not going to be good. Okay? <laughs> I don't... I genuinely don't know when put on the spot and pressed as you're pressing me right now. Yeah. But I can guarantee somewhere in there I've done something wicked embarrassing. I've said wicked <laughs> two times today. So remember the video that they had to call in like the team of experts from the FBI and the KGB and, you know, to like figure out how to get the CIA. Yeah. To get the fucking like video from this video camera. So they get the video and girl, I was thinking about you because you know how much we love a surveillance video. It shows his car pulling up out of view of the camera in the cul-de-sac and he's in his car for six minutes and Almost exactly at noon, you see him walking down the road right past the surveillance cameras. It looked to me like he was holding a, a little, like a manila folder, like it might have been a resume in there or something like that. Then he turns, and the other surveillance camera in the house catches him walking across the street. I have so much to say. I need an alternate podcast about this video. I need a whole separate podcast all to myself. Good. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. So, you know, they're saying that, like, 
It looks like it probably is him. It's the kind of clothing he would wear. You can't see like a close-up on his face, so we don't know for sure. But they say it looked like he was holding a folder, like maybe there was a resume in it. And then we see it from another angle. He turns and walks down the street and then, then walks out of frame. So like, you know, we don't know for sure that that's him, but we see somebody. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit everything that I was thinking, number one. I mean, first and foremost, we don't know it's him, okay? We don't. Yeah. They don't say it enough, right? Yeah, like what kept popping into my head was the McStay family. Yeah. How they were so sure that was the McStay family walking into Mexico. I was too. Yeah. Oh my God, that's right. I was convinced of it. Yeah, and you just, you look at it and it's that mind trickery. If your mind wants it to be something enough, you can make yourself believe that. Yeah. So I'm thinking, sure, it is 50-50. It's either him or it's not, right? A couple things we know. We know he was walking with a purpose. Yeah. He knew where he was going. He wasn't looking around. Something else is that he pulls up. We see the car pass on the surveillance. He sits in his car for about six minutes. Yeah. And almost bang on noon. Yeah. He walks out of his car. So clearly he was walking somewhere to be there at noon. He didn't want to be early. He wanted to be right there at noon on the dot. And that didn't even occur to me. Like, we'll hear the dad say later that, like, it seems like he had an appointment. Yeah. You know, like, it seems like, you know, if you're sitting in the car for six minutes and, like, remember, this kid has been desperately trying to get a job, you know? Yeah. Who was he going to see in this wealthy, older person's community? But one thing that Papa Rolf said is... We see him, then he goes off the camera and out of our lives. Yeah. And that is like emotionally paralyzing. I mean, I watched that video 25 times. I know, I know. How, as a parent, do you not watch that video and analyze his shirt or his pants or how fast he was driving and just sit there and not watch it over and over? Because again, we don't know if it's him, but what if it is? So now we get this crazy bullshit theory. The cops are saying like they have no leads. They don't really know where to go, what to look at, what to look for. And the cops get a call from a guy named Stephen Powell. I was contacted by Stephen Powell, who resides in Washington state and is the father of Joshua Powell, whose wife is Susan Powell, who's missing. More than two weeks after a Utah mother, Susan Powell disappeared. Police are now looking for answers. They had information that they would like us to look at as far as possibly linking the cases. Are you familiar with the Susan Cox Powell story? Yes. <laughs> Loyal TCO listeners will know Jillian and I screamed about this for two fucking episodes. Stephen Powell is Josh Powell's dad. Josh Powell was married to a woman named Susan. And like the backstory of this is that like Josh and Susan had lived with father Stephen for a time. The dad is a, you want to talk about a creep magnet? This fucking guy. Yeah. He was taking videos of her, videos of her in the bathroom that she didn't know about. Videos up her skirt. This is the dad. Yeah. This is her husband's father. Yeah. He tells her eventually that he's in love with her, expects her to leave his son to be with him. She goes missing and they never find the body. And it's clear that Josh is responsible. Like Josh, her husband killed her, but his whole family is involved in covering it up, including his dad, Stephen. So the dad, Stephen is like, no, 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 no. My daughter-in-law, Susan Powell, she's not dead. She totally ran off to start a new life because yeah. she's a whore. It's his words. Yeah. And now this guy, Stephen is calling the local 
local cops with his theory that this guy, Stephen, the Stephen that our episode is about, that he and Susan ran off together. I'm sorry I didn't tell anyone to pull over. I knew that was going to put you in a place. So I just want to apologize. <laughs> it's crazy because in the Susan Cox Powell episode on TCO that we covered, we mentioned this guy, Stephen, because it's mentioned in that. And I never knew any. I never looked into it. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew that there had been some bananas, bogus theory that she had run off with a journalist named Stephen. And here we are. And that's not what happened. Yeah, that's the full circle this. And I just love the cops are like, I just imagine the cops being like on the phone going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to stop you right there. Um, that's that's not, right. that didn't happen. That didn't happen. No. But yes, but well, and he's just like rolling his eyes, but we'll look into it anyway, sure. And they do, like the cops from both cases get together. And even though like they have to get together to like rule it all the way out, you know that they like met at a Dunkin' Donut somewhere and they're like, can you believe this yeah. shit? Can you believe that both of our fucking chiefs are making us sit down? Like, we know this is bullshit. Yeah, and they do. And they're just like, cool. Do you want to, how's your Boston cream? Good. Yeah, no, mine's okay. I should have gotten the apple fritter though. Um, <laughs> it's not too late. I can actually order right on the app. I get points. There's no app in 2009. Get your shit together. <laughs> oh my. I live by my Dunkin' Donuts app. I use it 10 times a day. I know, sweetheart. You remember you're on a mission to get healthy again? Remember? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so. So, okay. so let's 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 take that app out of the rotation, shall we? I love you. Out of the rotation. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Are you saying that I have to put my steps back into the rotation for the apps? I love when my steps are like when I used to like live in a normal world and my steps would be like twenty thousand in a day and now it's like six. Oh my god. I know. I'm like, oh I did go to the bathroom once, but I didn't carry my phone. Damn it. My phone didn't know I took those steps. And then you have to like walk walk around your living room for a minute just to make up for all the times you didn't have your phone on you. <laughs> and your phone's like, I know you're not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, but you missed me going to the bathroom. <laughs> Bitch, don't talk back to me. So in the end, we meet this PI. His name is Craig Retke. And he's a PI who like just reaches out to the family saying he wants to help. And the dad's like, great. And Retke's with us today. And he's like, I explained to him that I would like to look into it. I did not want to charge any kind of a fee, I just pro bono, and he agreed. And so Retke reviews the tape again, the tape of him like pulling into that neighborhood and then walking. And Retke is the one who's saying like, this guy's walking with a purpose. He knows where he's going. And he has this theory that I totally buy. Retke believes Stephen was headed to a meeting, possibly set up through an earlier chance encounter on a street. He could have run into somebody when he was out throwing flyers that for whatever reason, got him down to Las Vegas. He was introduced somehow to these people and he was walking towards that meeting. Remember, like, because when they looked in Steven's car, they found those, like, the flyers for the window washing company. He's like, I feel like he was in town handing those flyers out and possibly somebody said to him, like, hey, kid, are you looking for a job? Why don't you swing by my place later this afternoon, bring your resume, and we'll talk about it. That is this guy Retke's theory, which I totally buy. Because he's saying, when you look at him, it looks like he's walking directly to a home. It's the kind of neighborhood where maybe, like, some rich old guy owns a business, you know, and he's going there for some interview and Retke just says I think Stephen never made it out of the Henderson neighborhood 
I don't think he ever left that neighborhood. Yeah. Retke thinks, and I fully, fully agree, this is totally my theory, he went to some house in that neighborhood for some sort of job-related something and something really bad happened to him. Yeah, it should be said, and this wasn't mentioned in the episode either, but I found this on SideGoog. We see in the surveillance, which I encourage you guys to watch, when we see him make a left, he's not going to a house. That's a corner. He's turning a corner there. And what does that mean? That means we don't know what house he went into. Oh, right, yeah. To me, it looks like he's going to another house, and when you Google image it and you pull the Google image up to where he parked his car, that's actually a turned corner. So it's then another huge development of houses where they could, like, never pinpoint where he was going, because in my mind, I'm like, yeah. well, go in that house that he just turned left into. Yeah. It's not a house. And, well, they do say, like, we see the local cops, like, at the very end of the episode, and they are saying that, like, we have a house that we're very interested in. Like, we don't have any real leads, and we don't have a person of interest, but, like, it feels to me like the cops know where he went, you know? And they just can't say it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I hope so. There was all kinds of little red herrings about him being a blackjack expert in Vegas, and that panned out to be nothing. What? Yeah, there were all these, there was, like, a hoax letter that he was a blackjack expert somewhere, and that's <gasps> not true, because I looked it up. An average casino has two thousand cameras in it. Oh my God. Which incidentally is 2,000 more than Scoops Daniel's office had, but I digress. <laughs> but so there is like no, Vegas is chock full of CCTV. There is no way he was like on his way to Vegas. Yeah. I honestly think, listen, I just think he met for whatever reason, he met with foul play somewhere. Somebody knows. Um, so with that, if you have any information about the disappearance of Stephen Kosher or his activities leading up to his disappearance, please call the St. George Police Department at 435-627-4319. And this still remains an open case. There's so many theories. I think when it's just this mysterious, um, especially with no internet history, yeah. you know, about if he was struggling with his sexuality or if he was struggling with his mental health, I, I don't know. It just, it's just so sad. I know. Say something funny. I stand by it. Sound of music sucks, girl. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even singing the outro music. <laughs> Bow, bow, bow. You guys, that was season four, episode two. It's a fascinating case, girl. I want to know. I always want to know. I want to know his sweet little face, all of his pictures. I don't know. I know. But you know what? I hope he was a closeted gay man and he's living somewhere fabulous in San Francisco. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you guys, if you want more Ellen and me, if you want to hear us talk about murders and other kinds of cases beyond missing people, join us on the Patreon, you guys. Every month you get three full ad-free bonus episodes. Right now we're covering Snapped, girl. These episodes are hilarious and bananas. Yeah, I mean, and the great thing is we know who to get mad at right off the jump. So I just channel all my anger there. A lot of monologues. A lot of monologues. You also get our Friday Night Live as a podcast first thing Monday morning. You get uh, our monthly trivia. Over a thousand people show up. You can play at home. We call in like 10 people every time, but we have like a whole thing where like you actually play in real time. We have an at-home winner every week. It is so fun. Um, It's really great, girl. It's really great. We have a great time and we love you guys coming. It's just, it's it's so much fun. It's a blast. We want to see you there. We give away prizes. Yeah, 
and at the $10 level, you get ad-free versions of these episodes. You get to join our best friend circle on Instagram. It is the best. It is so much fun. I love hanging out with everybody on the Patreon. I love you. I love you. You're not going to give your social handles? They know them. <laughs> All right, you guys are off the hook this week. Just get out of here while you can. We love you. Bye. <laughs> You guys were going to go to Machu Picchu for your honeymoon? Yeah. That sounds exciting. We were exciting travelers. You know, we did a humanitarian vacation in Africa. You remember that? Yeah. Why don't you tell the people about going down the Nile again for the 20th time? (laughs) (laughs) I think I said it once. (laughs) But wait. I don't understand what part of The Sound of Music isn't breathtaking, beautiful, and life-changing. It's a beautiful score. It's a beautiful story. I mean, granted, he fucks the babysitter, but, like, the overall (laughs) story of it is beautiful. The scenic background, the Von Trapp children. Are you kidding me? Christopher (laughs) Plummer? He is a goddamn national treasure, and so is Julie Andrews, for that matter. Can we get Charlene to do the mon- the Sound of Music monologue, please? We yeah. need Charlene to do the Sound of Music monologue. Oh, my God. So Don't we- put that in the outtakes. Okay. Whoa. And they don't get married. They get sealed for eternity. Could you imagine if you and I were sealed for eternity? Like, not only are we stuck with each other in this life, we would be stuck with each other in the afterlife. I hope that that's true in some way. I mean, I want you to stop by my afterlife, but I don't want you to hang with me every day. <laughs> like, I can only take you in small doses. That's how we've remained friends for 20 years. The dad and the sons get in the car and they drive through the night. So in other words, girl, how did they get there? They drove all night <laughs> to get to St. George. <laughs> <laughs>